The following podcast contains explicit language, by which we mean potty talk. It's Thursday, June 9th, 2022. From Peachfish Productions, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. 26-year-old man by the name of Nicholas Roski was found on the block of Justice Brett Kavanaugh, armed with a pistol, a crowbar, and zip ties. He actually called 911, 9-11 on himself, and agents came, eventually charging him with attempting to murder a U.S. judge. The charges for judge, although Kavanaugh is, of course, a justice. There is spate of similar crimes, actual crimes, like in Wisconsin. So even though the guy was armed, and even though no actual violence occurred, We, of course, have to take this extremely seriously. Now, I'm for protesting and the First Amendment rights of protesters, even in front of the houses of Supreme Court justices. But after an incident like this, I would not object to, say, blocking off the street, maybe putting those protesters, uh, you know, a few actual house lengths away from the sitting justice and his neighbors. I just think it's weird if you look online and not even in weird corners of the Internet, just on anywhere, really, on CNN, you see pictures of a Supreme Court justice's home. You, when the lights are on inside the home, you could see Justice Kavanaugh's furniture. You could see the outlines of his neighbor's furniture. It's really, really weird. Other weird things about those protests are there was a woman protesting outside Kavanaugh's house with a hanger, only it was a plastic hanger. I don't know. Maybe she was upset about Kavanaugh's rulings on the EPA or something. But the big story media-wise and the coverage thereof is why did the New York Times only play this on page A20? Mediaite. It's one of these uh, news sites that collect different people's tweets and they call that a story. It's Mediaite did just this with uh, the conservative Guy Benson saying, the news that's barely fit to print, and he circles the small squib about the story on the front page. And then Nate Silver agreed with that. Mary Catherine Hamm agreed with that. Josh Crashour of the hotline, I think he's moving to Axios, even though his Twitter handle, unfortunately for him, is Hotline Josh. Uh, They all are saying, why was the New York Times playing this inside so much? The more conservative that the commentator was, the more they found it less curious and more indicative of the New York Times mindset that if it were a liberal justice, I saw the sentiment, if this were RBG, this would be front page. Well... In a story like this, what you really want to do is show inconsistency, show hypocrisy on the part of the Times, Uh, a situation where a prominent liberal politician was threatened and it got much more coverage. And the thing is, you can't show that because the Times has not done that. Do you remember in 2011, a guy shot at the White House? He actually succeeded. Bullets hit the White House from this guy's gun. His name is Oscar Ramiro Ortega Hernandez, and none of the print coverage in the Times of this guy was higher than page A11, all right? Uh, Indictment for man accused in White House shooting, page A11. Shooting suspect called fit for trial, A19. There's a big profile of the guy that was really well done, even though profiling assassins or would-be assassins is maybe not the sort of thing that you would do if you want to prevent future assassins. That played on page A18. It was a conscious choice on the part of the editors not to put would-be assassins on the front page. Do you remember in January of this year when a guy named Paul Vernon Hoffer, 
60 years old, was arrested in California after he, well, I'll read the headline in Yahoo, police arrested a Florida man who threatened to decapitate Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So where did the Times play that? If these critics are right, it would have been on page one. The Times played that nowhere. The Times did not cover this story. There are, maybe people don't realize, there are many, many, many would-be assassins out there. People, individuals who actually get arrested. And for the most part, the politicians say, please don't give these guys any more oxygen. Now, the Times or other reputable news organizations are not just going to default to that, but they are going to say, look, we have the responsibility to cover the news and we will cover it fully and we will be guided by news judgment. But there is still something to be said when an assassin or a would-be assassin retains that status as would-be, not to put it on the front page. So it was a very easy, this is a very debunkable charge that's gotten way too much attention among people who should probably know better that the New York Times was somehow guided by something other than news judgment in its placement and coverage of this would-be assassin. And I always say, I mean, you know me, I criticize all news very much in the New York Times quite often, but I say, if you come at the king, you better not miss. And if you do, the Times will play it on around page A12. On the show today, in the spiel, I talk about a bumper sticker that won't win many elections, but has the downside for Democrats of being true. But first, comedians have been taking more flack for the content of their sets than in about 20 years. There's one comedian who wants to talk about the giant elephant in the room. She's two-time Emmy winner Judy Gold. She has a new book out. Yes, I can say that. When they come for the comedians, we are all in trouble. And she joins me to talk about the Oscar slap, the power of comedy, and people looking at their neighbors before they laugh. A funny, funny lady with a hot, hot mic. Very hot mic with Judy and hot talk with Judy Gold up next. would make a much better GPS woman. Can you imagine? Turn left in 11 miles. Get over there now with your signal on. I want to make sure you're prepared. Make your second right on Elm Street. Drive by Rona Steinblatt's house. I want to make sure she's still alive. I never cared for her. Take a left at the Dairy Queen. Don't go in, they're anti-Semitic. If you are like me, you love comedy, but so often, the comedians out there, they just fall into certain categories like too short, too Gentile, not lesbian enough. Well, do I have the perfect solution for you? And not just on one or two of these rubrics, all of them. Judy Gold has been performing comedy and delighting audiences for decades now. She's out with a new book called Yes, I Can Say That. It's a comedian talking about the thing that makes comedy allowed in America, the First Amendment. I listen to her on podcasts and her stand-up sets. This is something she's been thinking about for a long time, and I'm glad she put it into words, and I'm glad she's coming on The Gist. Hello, Judy. Welcome to The Gist. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on The Gist. Absolutely. So you don't write a book like this, a 250-page book like this, unless something's bothering you. Oh, boy. <laughs> right? 
Yeah. Um, you know, the subtitle of my book is When They Come for the Comedians, We're All in Trouble. Because humor and satire are so a part of our cult- culture and so important. And I often think of, you know, what other country, you know, it, it, comedy is an extension of the First Amendment, a, a great extension of the First Amendment, um, or, or a great example of our First Amendment. What other country sends, you know, when, when the military is embedded overseas, sends comedians there to make them feel better? Uh, us. It is a part of our culture. The fact that we can speak truth to power, the fact that we can have an opinion, we can spin things so they're funny and thoughtful. I, I just, I, I cannot believe that you're coming after us. You're, you're coming after the people whose only goal is to make you laugh. Like we get on stage, the only thing we want is for the audience to laugh. And if you don't like a, jo- like a joke, if you are offended, that's on you. That's when you move on with your life. So I want to dive a little deeper into the argument because I hear many sides to this. I even hear comedians, progressive comedians, saying this is something of an exaggeration. They probably wouldn't say it to you. There's often in these arguments um, using the other, using a straw man version of the other side. And, you know, you often hear versions mm-hmm. like, well, that's just straight white male comics wanting the leeway to tell all their horrible jokes with insensitivity, which I don't think it is. But are there examples where you've seen the change in the time you've been doing this, where you've said, this is not good. This is not the right place we should be in if we're properly valuing uh, what comedy does, which is not just make us laugh, but, you know, to some extent, make us think or challenge assumptions. It's not the comedian. I think it's more the audience members. You know, I talked to Gilbert Gottfried a lot uh, about this before he passed, but he was so upset because we were talking about how your involuntary response is to laugh at something. And now people are laughing and then checking them. Oh, right. Not supposed to laugh at that. So that happens more. That happens more than it did 20 years ago. Oh, all the time. Or people are, this is my, this pisses me off the most. They're offended by proxy. Like, oh, right. That's mean to so-and-so. It's like, shut up. You know, if your instinct is to laugh, that's the right thing to do. It doesn't make you a bad person. Um, and you know, if you don't like a joke, don't laugh. You don't have to put yourself in that situation. Um, and I believe in all free speech. I, I really do. Uh, and the, and, and look, stand up comedy is an art form where the audience sees a work in progress. And George Carlin said, you know, it is the comedian's duty to find the line, cross it, and make the audience glad that you did. You know, first of all, a lot of us don't know where the line is until we get in front of the audience. Mm -hmm. And yet the audience has a responsibility to listen and make a decision, but not vilify the speaker. I'm I'm sure 30 years ago, you'd get the thing where someone would come up and says, well, you know, you make a joke about whatever, adult onset diabetes. And then they'll come on and say, well, you know, my aunt had adult onset diabetes. But now does it happen more? Right. Does it happen with more things? Does it happen oh, in a ridiculous yes. way where it's like, how it, am I supposed to know that? 
Right. It's exactly. It's like you could find something in everything you say that could be a, a quote unquote trigger or a micro regret. Like, what is this safe space shit that is going on? You know, we have decided we created this environment. Everyone gets a trophy. You get a trophy for winning the race and breaking the record and you get a trophy for smiling while he did it. No. And oh, the world is not a fair place. If someone says something and you're offended by it, then move on. Go. Go be pissed. But don't silence that person. But yes, it's happening all the time. If I if I got, in, you know, in a car, like a mini car accident on the way to a gig, and I went on stage and, and started riffing about this stupid fender bender I was in, and someone in the audience just lost some someone very close to them in a car accident, and they really, that was really bad for them to hear. You know, like, that's that's how ridiculous it is. So, I want to, by proxy, quote a couple of people who have a different opinion on this and see what you'd okay. have to say. Roxanne Gay, uh, writing in the New York Times, the headline was, Jada Pinkett Smith shouldn't have to take a joke, neither should you. And some of what she wrote is, it goes without saying that comedians are free to say what they please, long live creative license, free speech, we have to get through this thing, yes, yes, comedians good. But it should be obvious that the targets of jokes and insults have every right to react and respond. There is a strange idea that there is nobility in tolerating, or better yet, enjoying humor that attacks who you are, what you do, or how you look. That with free speech comes the obligation to turn the other cheek, rise above, laugh it all off. We often see this when comedians want to joke about race, sexual assault, gender violence, or other issues that people experiencing them don't find terribly funny. You can't laugh along, you're humorless, you're thin-skinned, you're a problem. And then she says, I've stopped aspiring to be thicker-skinned, and I no longer expect or admire it in others. You hear this sometimes. I mean, you heard it if you picked up the New York Times. She must be so fun at a party. (laughs) I I really want to... You know, take responsibility. You know, don't shut people up. Even the people that, you know, that I don't agree with and I think are dangerous, you, you know, I don't think they should be shut up. I think that we have free speech in this country. Jada, first of all, Jada Pickett Smith, who puts herself out there, I mean, they are, you're a celebrity. You are fodder. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially your marriage and your red table and your, you know, Chris Rock, nicest guy in the business, besides me, um, (laughs) gets on stage and tells a joke. It was a harmless joke about a stupid movie. It were at a film award show he does a reference to a ridiculous movie. It wasn't a great joke. Does he, does, first of all, does he deserve to be assaulted? No. Does Jada Pinkett Smith, these people who are like, oh, I love that, you know, her man was standing up. Does she need, she needs a guy to go up there and like, no. Comedy is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weapon. It is a weapon. I mean, and if you can't, if you don't like comedy, it's called a sense of humor. It's a sense. It's like you like sarcasm, you don't like sarcasm. Just like a sense of taste. You like salty food, you don't like salty food. You know, you like prop comics, you don't like prop comics. You know, th- this idea that everyone should fit into this uh, non-offensive, milk toast, 
whatever you then go watch Lassie. Go well, watch or, Lassie. Or in reality, or the comedians that agree with your view is what people would go to watch. And then right. we have atomized comedian by ideology, which probably isn't the ideal. But let me read you something else, not just to trigger you, not to tee you up, but really. I'm getting my girl grasped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Re- well, let's turn it into the macro. Respond to this. There's a rhetorical question in this column. Then I'm going to play you a comedian talking about this. She's talking just about thick skin, which you talk about in the book and how you were often teased as very- I was bullied. Yeah, I developed a thick skin, you know? So she says, who is served by all this thick skin? Those who want to behave with impunity. If the targets of derision only had thicker skin, their aggressors could say or do as we please. If we all had the thickest of skins, no one would have to take responsibility for cruelties big or small. I, I feel like the responsibility is on the person who can't deal with someone else's opinion, someone else's idea of what's funny. Um, you know, the thing about comedy that's so powerful, I think, is that it really gives you the opportunity to see the world through another person's eyes, to see, you know, it's disarming, it's a coping mechanism, and who. Who are the funniest comedians? Uh, marginalized groups are are very funny and fearless. Um, and yes, there are white male comedians who are very funny. Uh, but I know I know a lot of them, and they haven't had the you know they might be white men, but it's not like they had it easy growing up. You know, you see a disabled person, for example, mm-hmm. get on stage. Uh, and and talk about their disability and what the world is like being them and what it's like being them in a humorous way. The next time you encounter someone with that disability, you're going to be like, oh, I know a little more about that. You know, this is the power of comedy. You see, um, you know, when George Floyd was murdered, the, the number seven download on Spotify the following week was Richard Pryor's bit on the police. You know, comedy tells a story and, you know, thick skin, I don't think it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have thick skin, then don't go to a comedy club. Because uh, the first quote in my book is by my friend Eddie Sarfati, which is, uh, he's a comic and a writer. And he says, if you get upset that you got offended at a comedy club, that is like getting on a roller coaster and getting upset that you got scared. So here is, I will play this Michael Ian Black clip. He was talking to- I love uh, Michael Ian Black, by the he's, way. He's, uh, yeah, he's an interesting guy with an interesting story. And he talks about toxic masculinity and his right. uh, and his parents were, you know, his mom was uh, an important, I think, uh, gay rights activist, yes. et cetera. So he was on the uh, Jordan Klepper's new podcast that he does with the governor, John Kasich. And it came around to, well, what about cancel culture? What about the uh, ability of comedians to n- make a joke and people taking a joke? And so if we can, let's play a little of what he said. I think comedians can still basically say whatever they want to say. However, they better be be prepared to defend it. And what that's doing is it's making comedians think a lot more deeply about their jokes. It's really making people, comedians, think about their material in a way that I don't think that they were necessarily doing um, 15, 20 years ago. And it's made comedians better. Yeah, what do you think of that, Judy? Uh, You know, I think there's validity in that. And I think that, you know, you can really joke about anything. 
-hmm. But the joke has to be good. And that's what, but I've always thought that. And yes, there was in the 80s, I mean, we heard so many AIDS jokes and gay this. And I do think that great comedians have always thought, you know, where not, you know, where is the non-cheap way of going with this? Mm -hmm. Um, I have seen a lot of laziness where people through the years will just get up and try to get a reaction. That's not, to me, that's not, that's not great comedy. Don Rickles, who I mentioned in the book and the line is, thank God Don Rickles is dead. (laughs) If you, first of all, uh, if you went to one of his shows and he did not single you out and mock you, you felt like you got cheated. Um, His whole, he was a kind, wonderful person, uh, a mensch, and his whole, his whole bit, you know, he, he mocked himself, but his whole bit was, we're all just human. Look at you, look at this, like, and, and picking on these stupid idiosyncrasies and stereotypes that made people laugh because he brought everyone to this. Everyone was on the same level, but we can't see that now. Uh, he would be vilified and, and okay, because the world has changed, but his intent, you know, what we're missing here is intent Mm -hmm. and, and context and nuance, which we don't get on social media. Um, but when a comedian tells a joke and someone takes it, the wrong way, not the way the comedian intended. That's on the other person. Mm-hmm. And if you murder someone and you go on trial for homicide, your sentence is determined by your intent. What were you thinking? Was it premed? You know, and yet a comedian is not given the same uh, consideration. There's a story in there about uh, Namesh Patel performing at Columbia, and he was in the middle of a bit and they cut his mic because they heard a word they didn't like. They didn't even listen to the entire thought. I do think there is a bit of paranoia, e- paranoia even with the most seasoned comics thinking, oh, I might get in trouble for that. Or, And maybe that, in some instances, that is a check. What's the point of your joke? And is it a joke or is it just, you know gratuitous yelling of words that are right that get the kind of laugh that's out of discomfort right my line i always you know i don't i don't talk about i'm not i I don't know people get offended by a lot of the stuff i say but you know i draw the line when i think the audience is laughing for the wrong reason that's where i draw the line but other than that you know, I've just been doing this for so long and I feel very comfortable on stage and I'm happy to call things out. But it it takes so long to become a great comedian and to feel and to get your voice and to feel comfortable enough on stage. But I think that, you know, Michael is right, but also there have there were comedians that were thoughtful and did do exactly what he's saying 15 years ago. But there were also, but there's more comedians now too. I mean, comedy is everywhere, and people are just posting shit on on the internet and getting in trouble for it. The name of the book is "Yes, I Can Say That," although it does seem to be killing her a little bit, bit by bit. <laughs> yes, I, I can say that when they <laughs> come for the comedians, we are all in trouble. Judy Gold, it has been a great 
pleasure. Thanks. I love this. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And now the spiel. Bernie Sanders assessed the Democrats' chances in the November midterms and told Politico, quote, you can't really win an election with a bumper sticker that says, well, we can't do much, but the other side is worse. And the Democrats seem to have gotten the message. They've taken it to heart. You can't win an election with that bumper sticker because a bumper sticker is old and small and sticky and associated with the 1970s. Bernie Sanders is absolutely right. Bumper stickers are not the way to go. We'll beat the Republicans with a much-hyped primetime special played on all the non-Fox networks. And we'll also have a big Hollywood star speak from the White House podium. And of course, we'll do it through late-night appearances. Bumper stickers? Ha! And that is where we will spread our message that, well, we can't do much. It is screwed up, but we are only a few votes away from being able to straighten it out. And the Republican Party is worse. This is not your father's Republican Party. This is a, a MAGA party. It's a very different, a, a very different Republican Party. That was President Biden on the Jimmy Kimmel show last night. Tonight will be the hearings in primetime. The day before was when Matthew McConaughey went to the White House press room to give a really wonderful speech. It was a forum provided by the Democrats, and McConaughey took pains to emphasize that this was the opposite of a political issue. People in power have failed to act. So we're asking you, and I'm asking you, will you please ask yourselves, can both sides rise above? Can both sides see beyond the political problem at hand and admit that we have a life preservation problem on our hands? So we've got a chance right now to reach for and to grasp a higher ground above our political affiliations. A chance to make a choice that does more than protect your party. A chance to make a choice that protects our country now and for the next generation. I thought the speech was poignant and well-delivered, but it was a version of... The Democrats can't do much, but the other side is worse. The call to action was aimed at Republicans. They're the ones who have to move. They're the ones who are being asked to rise above their political affiliations, per McConaughey's formulation. The Democrats, in fact, just passed a gun bill in the House. 218 Democrats voted for it. Five Republicans did. The Republicans are worse. That part is right there in the passage of that bill. And the Democrats can't do much. That is true of the bill, which is going to die in the Senate. But it's also true of McConaughey's words. Not any of the words, just the fact that he was delivering them at all. Because the Democrats can't do much, they enlist a famous actor, and I have to say an excellent presenter of their argument, but they wouldn't have to do that if they could just pass legislation. Then they'd pass legislation and forego the unprecedented step of getting an Oscar winner to speak to the White House press corps. The Republicans, who are worse, prevent the Democrats from passing legislation. So here we have, there, in the McConaughey speech, an encapsulation of the Democrats can't do much, 
but the other side is worse. Tonight's hearings are going to get Democrats and a minority of Republicans who really are patriots riled up, but I wouldn't expect much to come of them, mostly because the Republicans will have the power to block their efforts at reform, censure, or punishment. In other words, the Democrats can't do much, but the other side is worse. The reason why the message is so damning has nothing to do with a critique of the message. It's not that the message makes for a bad piece of bumper sticker nalia, or it doesn't fit in well with a presentation on late night, or prime time, or cable news, or Twitter feeds, which is where most of the McConaughey speech landed. The reason that the message is damning is that it's so damn true. I mean, me personally, I look at the truth of the fact that the Dems can't do much and the truth of the fact that the other side is worse. I take that as a strong directive to vote against the other side, the one that's worse, right? I vote for the one that's not worse. To me, it's not a hard choice. Not enough people agree with me, I guess. And those that are buying the Republican bumper sticker, which is something like the Dems screwed up, now it's our turn. Well, those folks aren't watching Matthew McConaughey or Jimmy Kimmel and won't be tuning into tonight's hearings. Perhaps nothing will reach them, or perhaps in the imagination of some, there is a perfect bumper sticker out there that will change millions of minds. And that's it for today's show. I say, if you wish to leave a review, do so. I heartily encourage you to do so. You know what helps the show? Listening through to the end of each podcast. That actually does help the rankings. The the review, that could be nice. It'll help my ego. Maybe deflate it a little. Maybe that's the problem. Please opine at your leisure. The Gist is produced by Corey Wara, the assistant producer, and Joel Patterson, the senior producer. Michelle Pesca is COO of Peachfish Productions, also in charge of recruitment for the Women Leading Women program. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to advertisecast.com slash thegist. Oomperoo, jeeperoo, dooperoo, and thanks for listening. <laughs>